Hello and welcome to the WordPress Chick Podcast. Brought to you by the WPChick.com. WordPress explained for those of us who get headaches when we hear words like PHP and functions, but want to make money with their WordPress sites. No boring code snippets here. Just WordPress happiness made easy. Now, here's your host, Kim Doyle, the WordPress Chick. Hey, what's up, everybody? Welcome to the official first uh, Conversations with Kim WordPress Chick podcast episode. I don't know how I'm going to word this or or flow with it, so bear with me. This is sort of a new test, but this really came about specifically because of this project I'm doing and having some conversations with friends where I'm like, I just want to have a little bit more organic flow to to some of the things that I want to talk about that are relative, obviously, to online marketing, to our businesses, whether it's mindset, product development, you know, course creation content, whatever. So let me know what you guys think. Uh, I would love some feedback. Today, though, we're going to do a little deep dive with something that I'm working on. And today I have Gordon Orlick. Gordon, you rock. Thanks for being here. <laughs> You're welcome. A pleasure to be here. All right. So for everybody listening, if you've not heard this, uh, I had Gordon on the show. God, Gordon, it was mid-year last year uh, going into summer and it was uh, Gordon. Summer, summer summer-ish. Summer-ish. Okay. So Gordon runs Web Factory. Uh, I don't know if you say webfactoryltd.com and they are software developers and you. I'm going to link to that episode. But what I want to do is we're going to fast forward. Gordon and I, he had he had asked me they do a lot of white labeling of WordPress plugins and software and it said oh do you have any ideas and I had an idea we were kind of working on it playing with it and I just couldn't get super excited it was a WordPress plugin so but Gordon has been ridiculously patient with me and I don't know Gordon have you seen the difference between my excitement for lead surveys and the first project <laughs> oh definitely definitely yeah. yeah. It, it it didn't sound like a bad project. I still don't think it's a bad project, but this one is better, definitely. I agree. And you know, it's funny is because I had a couple people that I had talked to about the first project were like, when is that coming? I'm like, well, <laughs> um, it's, it's on the back burner for now. So this came about because of a massive frustration. And I'll, I should probably tell everybody, we're, we're talking about leadsurveys.io, which is a web app. And... So Gordon and I, you know, we stayed in touch, you know, about the other project. And then one day I was like, so what about a web app? So before we get into lead surveys and everything uh, that's going on behind it, because this has been a massive learning curve for me. And, you you know, for everybody listening, if you've ever thought about software development, you're going to want to take notes or I'll put the transcripts in, in the post because I feel like I've got like I'm in kindergarten. <laughs> I'm like running to Gordon. Well, what about this? And how do we do this? And it's kind of been a rabbit hole, but it's been awesome. So Gordon, prior to this, have, had you guys done web apps? I'm so sorry for forgetting that. But had you guys done web apps before? We only did one, which was a, let's call it a semi web app, because it was still basically a WordPress plugin. But a part of it was plucked out in order to keep the code safe. So you still needed a WordPress plugin, but let's say some of the calculations were done on a centralized server in order for it to be hidden from, you know, praying eyes. Okay. So some sort of a mix between a WordPress plugin and a SAS. 
Well, and how how many plugins? I always tell people I'm like thirty plus, and I don't know how many white label things you guys have done. No, it's it's borderlining a thousand. Oh my lord! No, it's it, no, it's seriously a huge amount. I, I get emails from customers from a few years ago, and I seriously do not remember doing those projects until I, you know, look at the thread in Gmail. Okay, and so for everybody listening, can you explain, because I think you're going to do it way more justice, obviously, everybody listening knows what a WordPress plugin is. This is a SaaS product, so service as a so- uh, software as a service, sorry. Yeah. Um, but <laughs> well, well, well intro, Kim. Um, so but can you explain more? Because I've had, you know, is it funny? I think I was talking to my sister. She's like, well, what what is a web app? And obviously, people listening to the show are probably aware. But can you give a better explanation of what it is? Well, first and foremost, I think that people tend to ask, is it the same thing, a plugin and a SaaS, or can one become another? In 95% of the cases, it can. So it's just a matter of choosing uh, what fits a particular service better, whether it's a plugin or a SaaS. So it's just a technical thing for somebody to choose what he wants to do. Now, if somebody chooses to do a SaaS, what does that mean? It means that they are basically offloading a lot of code, a lot of processing, a lot of things that take up server resources onto their servers instead of using your server to do certain things. Now, another huge part of this whole thing is uh, there's this analogy that I like to use. Uh, Let's say that every day your friend drives you to work in their car. Now, this is great because the sucker is paying for gas. (laughs) And you're cruising in the back seat, you know, you're listening to some music, music, and he's the one pissed off because he has to drive. So all is good and well for you. You basically have a private driver. Uh, But on the other hand, if he wants to listen to Nickelback... You're listening to Nickelback because it's his car. If he decides to make a two-hour pit stop, you're making a two-hour pit stop. So it's the same thing with writing a plugin. You're driving in another person's car, and the WordPress Foundation is driving this car. So it's all fun and games because they're paying for the gas. You're in the back seat. Half of the things are already sold for you. You have this great platform that people know and love. But on the other hand, when they decide to pivot, when they decide to do something, nobody's asking you anything. And this can be little things. I don't know. They change a color and you don't like it. You have to shut up. But it can also be big things. Basically, they can decide to shut down WordPress one day. And what can you do? Nothing. Because all of these years, you relied on them heavily to run your business. So you got a great fast start, but you have to realize that you're fully dependent on something that you don't control. On the other hand, if you have a SaaS, Nobody can, quote unquote, blackmail you in such way because you are independent of other services 
and you are providing a service to other people that is mostly independent of other platforms. Therefore, and one thing that's blandly obvious, if you make a WordPress plugin, you're covering 27% of the market because they say that WordPress powers 27% of the web. If you're doing a SaaS, you're covering 100%. So that's a four times the fold. So it's more money, more people, because you're not depending on WordPress. And this doesn't go just for WordPress. It can be Joomla or basically any other system, anything else that you're piggybacking on. Again, great for start. You're rapidly growing. You're making money. But one day, they may decide to include your plugin in the core and make it free. So all of a sudden, you're out of business. As everything in life, you know, it's a compromise. Perfect. Exp- I love the the car analogy. And it's like, yeah, you're stuck. And that was, you know, everybody listening to this who's running on WordPress, obviously, has been there when you go to install a plugin and it doesn't work with something else. And the stories that I'd shared about dipping my toes into plugin development, not me developing it, but it was just like the support that was required out of the gate with questions about conflicts and this not working in this environment. And it's like, there are so many things that you have to, to, to get right. And so, and for me, where I was excited about a SaaS product was because there, there is, which we're going to talk you guys about pricing and stuff. Cause I've, I've learned a ton about the actual costs of servers and how this works in this space. But you also then run into the mentality with WordPress plugins and people, it, it blows my mind when people object to having to renew a license for even a hundred bucks annually. And so, you know, you've got that piece and then you have the SaaS space where people don't hesitate to spend hundreds of dollars a month a month on a marketing tool that they can use and measure. And so I just thought, I don't, I still love WordPress, but out of that, that frustration of, you know, people wanting everything to be free, I thought I would, I would rather do this. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, things have changed, especially in the last year or two after a few big players step, stepped onto the WordPress turf. (laughs) But there is a certain legacy of WordPress is free. I'm not giving you a bloody dime. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm not getting into the whole it's free as in free beer conversation because <laughs> oh, it'll, it'll take hours. But sooner or later, hopefully sooner, people will realize that services and plugins don't magically materialize out of thin air. And if not for anything else, I have to eat, you know, (laughs) it doesn't have to be meat, but at least (laughs) bread. Um, So yeah, somebody, some hours have been put into this. You don't have to value my work. that's, That's just fine. I don't have anything against that. But it is just recognize that something was invested into it. I may be the stupidest person alive, but just acknowledge that I was sitting down for 10 hours and, you know, plucking on my keyboard. That's all. 
So if you acknowledge that in a few years, maybe you'll get into a state when you realize that somebody had to buy that keyboard. And then after a few years, you may give me some money. The problem is that people have to unlearn things. They have to unlearn that it's free. Yeah. While it's SASs, somehow somebody managed to get the thing right from the ground up and tell them, yeah, it's free for 14 days or it's free for this limited tier or limited kind of thing so that you can try it out. But afterwards, please pay us something. And it doesn't really matter if it's a dollar or a hundred. It's the act of paying and, you know, typing in your PayPal address or the credit card. That's a boundary that many people are not willing to cross when it comes to WordPress plugins because they feel that there are 40,000 plugins in the repository. Now, a team for a completely different uh, episode, but at least, at least, at least three quarters of those plugins are either obsolete or semi not functioning. So it's no longer 40,000, it's maybe 10,000. Yeah. Well, you know what? And I love your point to relearning things because that's exactly it. And I think you see a lot of people in the plugin space um, have sh- are shifting models. They're totally shifting models and they may have a free version because they realize that's a way to get customers in. But the second you install the free version, your, your WordPress dashboard is marketing left and right all over to upgrade to up. And I don't begrudge them that at all. Um, but okay. So let's, let's, I want to tell everybody what lead surveys is and, and where it came from. I was frustrated because I, I found this survey on a site and it was simple. And I want to talk a little bit as I, as I share this, I'm going to share my frustration with quizzes, <laughs> even though I'm going to test and deploy a quiz. It always came down to me having to come up with the quiz, right? And in this space, when it comes to blogging and marketing and internet marketing, it's like, all right, well, how do I come up with something that is entertaining? Because you need to be able to grab people. So it's got to have quality copy, right? And so entertaining, but yet gives me the data and information I need, keep somebody engaged. And then I get the name and the email. It just, it was a roadblock for me. I've tried it multiple times. So I came across this opt-in on the site and it was this super simple survey. It was the first one. It was like download, you know, there's a lead magnet attached to it. And the first window was like, you know, what is your, what, how would you classify yourself? Blogger, marketer, podcast, whatever. Right. And it was like two questions. And it had steps. And then the next one was asking date for data about your following and your list size, right? So social platforms, list size. And I forget the third one. And then it was an opt and I was done. And I was like, that was beautiful <laughs> because I could, my, my brain started spinning with, Oh my gosh, you're, you're capturing this data. You're able to segment your subscribers. So this whole survey thing is not new, but it was a way to keep people engaged because I don't know about you and tell me, Gordon, like I think even though people are trained now to, to opt in for stuff, there's a little bit of a blindness that happens with, with opt-ins. Do you think it's kind of not, not like banner blindness, but you know what I mean? It's getting to a point of banner blindness. It's, it's difficult to open 
any site in any niche without seeing some kind of content blocking or semi-blocking uh, opt-in thing. Whether it's a pre-roll or a pop-up or or basically anything, you you have to click the close button or you know try to go around it or just give them your email. And I think it's gotten to a point where you you're in this tunnel vision mode and you just see the two fields and you assume that the first one is name and the second one is email and your browser is pre-filling and you're just hitting the button that's below it. You're not reading. You're maybe even not scanning. So, you know, just get me through this. I don't know what's going on. I just want to read this or download the PDF or whatever. Here's my email. Here's my name. Let's go on. And what happens, okay, aside from the fact that readers are spending some time on futile things, you get this email list where uh, quantity is far more uh, exaggerated than quality. And then your open rate is low. Then you get into the promotions tab in Gmail. Then your open rate is even lower. And basically, I mean, no click-throughs, no selling, no nothing. So you have, I don't know, 10,000 people on the list and you don't know anything about them. They're not willing to open an email. They're not willing to click an email. Nothing's happening. So I think that although email is still a crucial marketing tool that having a good list will soon be far, far, far more important than having a huge list. Because, I mean, I think in the, you can get a 10,000 people on your list, not a problem. But the question is, who are those people? And are they actually worth anything to you? Totally. If you want to go, you can do ad swaps, right? There's solo ads. There's all kinds of ways that you can build a huge list very quickly. Um, but again, it's like, first of all, I have to pay for my subscribers. So I don't want, you know, a crap list. And I, I just think gone are the days of not having a relationship with your audience. I mean, you need to talk to them and, and communicate with them. You can't just, I, I don't know, the, those BS days are gone. And so, when it comes to segmenting people and tagging, <laughs> I'm going to put on my little Swami hat and crystal ball here because I do see the direction of things going to, <laughs> and you're going to have to tell me what the correct terminology is because I'm making up shit as I go. But this sort of like smart technology, smart segmenting in a way and, and, and meaning yeah, properly targeting, not showing, you know, I don't know, female socks to a 10-year-old male. He's not going to buy that. Right. And so based and, – and everybody, it's funny. I was actually having this conversation with my aunt and uncle this weekend. They um, – I was giving them an update on lead surveys. And because a lot of people get like – it feels really creepy, like big, big Brother's watching you, right, when you can do retargeting and stuff. And when you understand the technology, it's like, well, it's just really smart. So – but beyond the retargeting piece – is it's, it's that, it's that ability to say, you were here last week and this is what you answered. Therefore, this is what I'm going to show you 
and that's a very surface level generic guys and I'm not making promises about the software but it's being able to really talk to to people that are visiting your site and are interested in your products and services who have already subscribed and doing it in a way that keeps the conversation flowing I guess like right so you can essentially pick up the conversation from the last time they visited as opposed to like pretending they're a brand new visitor and you have no relationship with them again <laughs> No, making micro content adjustments or suggestions based on previous behavior is definitely the way to go because the information overload is definitely something that's it's here. It's been here for years. That's why we no longer read anything and we have attention spans of a dead horse. <laughs> or, so, or even hold on, like even with the reading piece, like. And, and I think it's taking the, I'm going to say average consumer web visitor a little bit longer to catch up, but this is why you see more white space on a page, you know, less crazy ads and all that kind of stuff is because like I love reading on Medium. I get a daily digest from the website Medium of things that I subscribe to because it's literally just content and. It, which is sort of this catch 22 because I'm a marketer and I like seeing new stuff too. But I agree with you like this, this scanning and stuff. And if it's the, um, I don't know if it's being pushed at people, they stop reading. They just stop reading. Sorry. I don't know where I was going no, with that. Things, yeah. Things need to be dialed down. So less is more. We used to have like the, the, these layouts on most on new sites they would have at least two sidebars, left and right, and then content in the middle. You can't read this. Mm -mm. You can't focus on the content in the middle if you have an animated flash ad to your left and to your right. The eyes just, you know, wander about. So that's why Medium has only one column for the content because you're there for the content. And that doesn't mean that you can't have social sharing buttons and everything that you need. It just means that when you're focusing on content, you are focusing on content. And that also doesn't mean that we won't have sites with a five column layout. We will. But I feel that for me at least, I would like to go with one column. Therefore, there are at least a few other people that want the same thing as me. Well, and I think those like the multi columns tend to be, you know, content aggregation sites at this point and, or news sites. And, you know, it's, um, it's funny as you were saying that I was thinking, can you imagine how obnoxious it would be to read a book that had ads on the page? You know, it's like, it's not the way our brains work, but, um, on, on, so with this, let me tell everybody, I played around with, I was just on this hell bent mission, like viewed the page source, was trying to figure out, you know, found some different plugins that could do this survey thing. Then I tried to hack it with, I'm going to do a gravity form and put it in a thrive lead box. And, but it wasn't working the way I wanted it to work. And so I was like, huh. I got to talk to Gordon. And so we're going to jump into some of the pieces involved, you guys, because this has just been, um, like I said, a massive learning curve for me and will continue to be. But I want to, I'm going to just do a little bullet, Gordon, of the pieces and you can jump in with wherever you want to start. Mm -hmm. So I want to talk about the, the technical, the development piece of this. 
We'll talk about the branding, the marketing, the pricing, because all of that has been interesting. And pull in, if you can, for the technical, the whole Google material design that you have sent me on a massive, consistent rabbit hole down. (laughs) Um, And then obviously deploying a SaaS product. So probably makes sense to start with the technical piece of this. If you can just give a little insight into, you know, how this starts and and where we're going. Yeah, well, basically what we're trying to achieve is that having more users makes us happier instead of frustrated because things are not working. Uh, If we get back to the WordPress plugins a sec, if you have 10 users on on your WordPress plugin or you have a thousand users, the only thing that you may feel here is more support because something's not working. But if we, if we assume that everything is working and that nobody is sending any support requests, it's not costing you more or less to have 10 users instead of a thousand or a million. It's the same thing for you. You know, they, they're, they are hosting their sites and therefore they are hosting the instance of the plugin that they have. It has nothing to do with you. You most probably don't even have a list of sites that are using your plugin. On the other hand, when you're running a SaaS, the difference between having 10 users and a million users is staggering because you have to be able to bear the load of all of these people. And then specifically in our case, because of the technicalities of the things that we are doing, we also have to bear the load of all of their websites because as each of their pages load, it loads the survey as well to a some degree, regardless of whether it shows or not. So this whole preparation is us making sure that in a month or two or a year that we don't have a dead app. We want to have <laughs> the same app that's working and looking great and supporting as many users as needed. And you can't really do that on a duct taped piece of code with a $5 per month hosting. Yeah, that piece of it, because when when we started looking at this and any, again, I can anybody listening, which everybody listening, if you've ever looked at whether it's a product, physical product, whether it's a service, whether it's software, you know, you do this sort of backwards engineering. And so when we were looking at, I don't know if it was a good week or two, but it was like daily back and forth of look at this, look at this. And we were sharing different platforms um, that have a similar type of tiered pricing that have calls to the server. And I don't know if that's the correct terminology, but it was fascinating because so much of the way these things are set up and structured It's, it's, um, how do I want to say this? It almost assumes the user is stupid and you don't know better. So you're just going to run with, oh, okay, well, you know, 500 views. It's like, well, what the hell does that mean to the user? Or, you know, these, the, the, the way things are structured, structured, it's not clear to the user what they're paying for. But yet the user is like, well, I don't, I, I don't really know. So I'm just going to run with it. So, you know, that piece of it and understanding. And I think that they're, let me ask you this, Gordon, like, where do you think the responsibility lies with, say, for us with lead servers and 
like sharing this? Like, is it too much information to the user or like, how do you explain to the user what they're paying for without getting into, you know, it like technical jargon that they don't really care about? <laughs> yeah. Well, if we are losing money, that may seem great <laughs> to the user, but what it will do in a day or a month is that we'll be either shutting down the service or upping the prices, I don't know, by 10 times because there's only so much time that we can lose money. So that would be us not taking into account the physical and financial barriers of providing such a service. Then we, we would just tell to the user, you know, do whatever you want. It's the same thing if you run CNN.com or if you run, you know, a local school blog. No, it's not the same. The other spectrum, the other, the opposite side of the spectrum would be for us to go into these horrible details of explaining what things are. I mean, nobody wants to read that. <laughs> right. And most people, no, they even can't read it. So specifically these page views, as I already mentioned, whenever, so you put a little piece of JavaScript on your site in order to run pop-ups or our surveys or any similar service. So each time your page loads, the piece of JavaScript loads as well. Again, it has nothing to do with the fact whether the survey loads or not. Things have to be prepared for the survey to be able to load. Mm -hmm. So if you have 10,000 page loads or views or call them wherever you want per day, that means that we have to serve that piece of JavaScript 10,000 times a day. Now, I think it's blandly obvious that it's not the same thing for us to do that 100 times a day or 100 million times a day. Or if we have 1,000 users, that number gets multiplied by 1,000. So we have to take account that into the pricing and in some way let people know if you're a big player, you have to pay more. I wanted to stay away from the term page views or visits because it's quite hard to define and I feel that people would be worried in terms of, oh my God, I only paid for 500 visits. What if I get a traffic spike or something like that? So I like to view it as something in terms of how big is your site? Is it just a small blog? Is it a little bit bigger blog or are you running a serious site? You know, how many leads do you think that you will get in a month? Because if you have a hundred visits per month, it's obvious you can't get 10,000 leads per month. There's just not enough people. But if you think that you're going to get a million leads per month, that means that you have a high traffic site. So looking at this through leads as the quantifier, I feel that it's a lot less technical. It's something that people can um, relate to more without going into specifics. And it gives us a chance to calculate things maybe not as precise as we would be able if we would to told you you get X views per month, but it's a little bit more user-friendly and obviously our support will be on hand 
to help anybody who overpaid or underpaid. But the bottom line is this is a crucial factor for anybody running this kind of a SAS. That little piece of JavaScript will be included in all of the pages that have the ability to show the survey. Therefore, we need to be able to ballpark the number of requests we have to do per day because we have to pay host our hosting based on that. And it's not like five bucks. It's not a hundred bucks. We're talking about thousands of dollars per month. And at the end, we have to, you know, eat the bread if not meat. <laughs> so awesome answer. And at the end of the day, the responsibility real it, it's our responsibility to make sure that the the way that and again i don't want to go into like some crazy long explanation but but coming from the user perspective like i visited those sites and i was like what does this mean how many page views and the terminology was not consistent across any of these different things so it really like part of our goal when we started talking about this from day one was simplicity because so many so many tools try to be everything to everybody and they go into such explanation. Like some of the features are redundant that they start listing, but I think that they take into consideration that the user's not going to know the difference or whatever. No, they just want to have a nice pricing table. Right. And, and so, okay, that brings me sort of to, since we're still on this technical piece, we'll talk about Kim's idea of version zero <laughs> versus reality because, you know, so as we started doing this, Gordon's like, well, give me a wish list. And then he's like, this is not version zero. <laughs> so we're from starting, like, you, again, I don't know how you can explain this the best way, Gordon, but what, what, what to you the is... The idea is to launch in a finite amount of time. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So we're, the goal is to get the product to market. I get that. So, but from approaching, approaching this and, and I'm just going to give the example, and I know you're probably tired of hearing it, as is my audience, that I watched as a customer the development of CoSchedule, which is very different than anything we're doing. But yet, the way that they started with this, and then it's been a few years, right, where they iterate and add more value and add more features, because that's the goal, I think, of any SaaS product. It's like you're not going to launch the perfect end product from day one. So how do you approach a version zero besides like a... a deadline date like you know what i'm saying like how do you decide okay this is the the bare minimum that we can launch with that provides value oh i don't think there's a correct answer to that mm -hmm. uh if we can get back to the car selling somebody a car without a steering wheel is not a car <laughs> selling somebody a car without a stereo well that works yeah i mean maybe you think everybody has a stereo, but then again, a lot of people really don't. And you can, you know, sing while you're driving. But in a month, you get some money, you buy a stereo, you put it in. But if you don't have a steering wheel, that's not a car, that's something waiting to be a car. Now, with determining the, let's call it a minimum viable product, uh, having this state of mind that you want to have everything is very problematic because everything today is not the same as everything tomorrow. Mm -hmm. And while that's, a, that's a tweet. Sorry, go ahead. <laughs> yeah, and while you're building 
you know, the time is not asking you if it can run or not. It's running and the clock is ticking. So it's a continuous struggle to be on top of things while, while you're building. And if you have more features than you should, you're always one step back because as you finish, those features became obsolete. So now you're again struggling to catch up and add everything new. And by the time you're done, again, time has passed. So you're, you're not going to be able to chase that rabbit. The goal is to have something that solves a particular problem that relieves people of some pain and to have it now while they actually have that problem. Because in a month or six or a year, that problem won't really exist. You know, things are really moving fast, especially, you know, in the niche that we're in. In a year, you know, who remembers what happened in a year? A thousand products get born and die. Yeah. So being quick is, in my opinion, far more important than having, quote unquote, everything. And the other problem with everything, trying to satisfy everybody tends to lead to satisfying nobody. Yeah. Because if you're aiming for the newbies, if simplicity is the key, then obviously you can't have 78 options for tuning buttons because, first of all, the UI is going to be completely different. That's a lot of options. And secondly, those people don't know what paddings and margins are. <laughs> those are seriously new terms for them. Mm -hmm. So those two things don't go hand to hand. And they obviously expe expect you to hold their hand while they're doing things, meaning that you have to have videos and tutorials and blah, blah, blah. So what now you're basically writing a book on CSS explaining how to do buttons while the core of your service is, I don't know, something that helps them sell a house. No, they just want to list the freaking house. <laughs> the button can be blue or red because that's your market fit. There's no need to adjust the buttons. Just make the button as best as possible and give them that one option. But, you know, you're trying to satisfy everybody, and in the end, you're not satisfying anybody. Okay, before we go on, first of all, I think we're going to have to do a two-parter with this, because I'm, like, looking at all my bullets here, and I'm like, yeah, there's, there's, this is going to be a two-parter, not that we're cutting off now. But to that point, so I want to back up a little bit, because one of the goals with this, and I love the fact that we're totally on the same page, Gordon, is that... Simplicity is key to me. And I think that, you know, I, I was having a conversation uh, with a friend and I was at the end of the day, you shouldn't have to hire somebody to use the, the tools you're paying for unless you choose to. If that's if that's something you want to do, then great. But a piece of software that I don't care if it costs you 40 bucks to 200 bucks a month or, or more. You should be able to go in to use it and deploy something. You know, the goal is like in this case, it's how do we capture some data, start segmenting subscribers? And one, we both, it has to look good. And, but two, it's like if you give too many people options, they get, 
they get way too much in their head. And I love this because we had a conversation. I think this will probably play more into the marketing piece of it. But, you know, there are certain features that sometimes you have to provide just because people think they need them. Now, on the flip side of that, I think that the goal is that we build a solid enough relationship and provide content and training and it not within the app, right? But just actually have a relationship with our audience. And I have to say, I was surprised how many different tools we looked at that don't really do that, right? They're just a software company in essence. No, they give you, you know, here's our thing, you know, do what it whatever you want. Yeah. And that that doesn't help people stay, you know, stay, first of all, inside your app. The goal is to get people using it. It doesn't do us any good if, you know, you log in the day you sign up or you try it and you get stuck and then you never come back. And, you know, after three months of a recurring payment, you're like, oh, I'm not using this. That's that's not what we're, we don't want to be that at all. Um, and, and so from the simplicity standpoint, because again, there's all kinds of bells and whistles, but there's this responsibility on our end of saying, Here's why we're giving you templates and not a builder for version zero, right? Yeah, and something being simple, it's actually much harder to build simple things that work than to build complicated things. Because simplicity means that you have the knowledge and the data to decide what matters and what doesn't matter. I think a superb example of that was the first iPhone, or maybe the first few iPhones. (laughs) Um, Obviously, you could use it to phone somebody. You can use it to text. And you had a lot of apps. But when you went into the options, it wasn't an ever-ending and never-ending river of things to go through. The options were very limited. You know, anybody with any knowledge of technology back in the day was able to configure that because basically the initial settings were such that you didn't have to configure anything. Now, the reason why I said the first iPhone or iPhones is the the latest iPhone or to be more precise, the latest iOS, I don't really see it as such anymore because when you go into the options, you can scroll for like five minutes Uh, they actually have the feature of searching the options. Whenever you have a search option for anything, you failed. You know, it's okay to have a search box for icons because you have 10,000 of them. But if you have a search box to find an option, it means that you just have too many. And that's when you start losing customers because you're trying to appeal to everybody or you're adding options that like two people told you that this option is crucial. You got to have it. And then in the next iteration, you add that option without actually thinking, you know, should we do this? Because you're thinking, well, it's not going to hurt anybody. It is going to hurt a lot of people because you'll be doing this a lot. And all of a sudden your options page is not one screen high, it's 10 screens high. So you need to pivot around the whole concept of how you show options. Therefore, simple is much harder to do, but in the end, it's more rewarding for the user because he only has things that he needs. And some people get angry, you know, who are you to tell me why I don't need a builder? I want a builder because I want a 16 grid layout. (laughs) 
Well, for those people, and no disrespect, our product and our way of doing things is not right for you. Please, you know, get some other plugin service or whatever, you'll be much happier because we're not giving a builder that can do eight or 16 or 24 columns. We just believe that, you know, we're not a good fit. And we feel that our customers want something that's far more easier to use, to customize, and in the end to get that survey up and running in 30 seconds. If you have the questions ready, I guarantee you'll have a survey running in 30 seconds. So it's not a chore. It's next, next, next. It's good for me. I'm ready to go. Obviously, writing questions takes a bit longer. But just the technicality of getting a new survey up and running, I feel it has to be done in under a minute. If we give you a 16-grid builder, eh, that's not going to be a five-minute job for you. Therefore, lead surveys is not for you. Well, and there that that totally talks to letting them think they're getting what they want, but giving them what they need. And with and that sounds I don't mean that to be manipulative, but I do like the pre-qualifying. If you want all these things that aren't going to actually help you build a quality list of segmented subscribers that you can then continue the conversation with, eh, we're not for you. And I love that point. And I think too often software products try to be everything to everybody and it's just, it's not going to work. And again, that's where to me, the responsibility comes back of just having this conversation with our customers, having the conversation with this is why you do this. And so to your point of having the questions, right? So we'll have some survey, some templates for questions as well. But how much more exciting is it to be like, wow, I've got the, this new, this new survey up and you can go in and change the questions because you just get to log into your dashboard, right? It's not like having to go in and redo a plugin or whatever, but basically testing a headline and a question is easier, but you've gotten it up. And that's, that brings me back to my challenge with quizzes is that you can deploy a simple survey. And again, this is not about, you know, some 10 page in-depth survey that's only going to take your customers 10 minutes to complete. It's like, no, 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 no. I want to build a relationship with you. I want to find a little bit more and then make sure that I'm providing value to you based on how you answer the questions. And so these, these options and this version zero you know, for what it's worth, it just having these conversations with you, Gordon, has totally made me step back and and come back to, to basics. This is a quick little story. I got an email this weekend from somebody who had downloaded. Uh, I had I've done this in a one page marketing plan, and it's ten things, and then I did an accompanying audio. And the whole premise of it is go back to the basics, get the fundamentals working. You know, get a, a solid user base and. <laughs> one point like where we're like, I've got cleanup on my side. It's like, don't go doing a bunch of bells and whistles, get everything running tight and lean. But this woman, she emailed me and said, thank you for this, because I got so caught up in all these other tactics of Facebook ads and webinars and doing this. And I feel like I'm going blind from reading newsletters and, and I need to come back to creating content and having a conversation with my customers. And so it's that same thing. And it was simply through the ability to communicate because it'll be nine years this March when I started my business. Had I put the energy and effort into the fundamentals, content, copy, email marketing, you know, even five years ago that I do today, 
life would look very different. No regrets. But that's part of what lead surveys is. You know, it's like we want to be that we want to help them do it right. So it's not just here's a solution. Here's a technical solution. Um, so from that perspective, you know, what are, can we give like a little bit of a teaser? Cause I, like I said, I think we're going to have to get into the branding and the voice and all that in another episode, but can we talk about some of the features that we're going to be launching uh, version zero with? Yeah, sure. Just a quick sentence before it. I just want to ensure our customers that if there's a place in our app where you only have a blue button and you would also like a red button, please note that the decision to only have a blue one didn't came out of laziness. <laughs> we actually decided only to give you the blue one. Now, you may be pissed. However, you're shooting yourself in the foot. Why? You're thinking that you're paying us to code something and to host it and to give you support. But you're also paying for years and decades of cumulative knowledge. So somebody that has a bit more experience in this field decided that the button needs to be blue. I know that you feel that it should be red, but please give us a chance (laughs) and let us do our job. And actually you're paying us to do this, to think for you so that you don't have to, because we either split test that or we read a book or we had a site and believe us, the button should be blue. I mean, again, if this is something you can't live with and you need a red and an orange button, there are other services out there out there that will give that to you. But know that you're not only paying for the software itself, you're paying for the know-how behind it and for the years of making bad decisions so that you don't have to. Because if somebody else ran their head through the wall, well, there is no need for you to do the same. <laughs> now, yeah, back to the question. Okay, I'm gonna. I have to interrupt you though, because the question was the features. Because, and if we want to talk about this a little bit more, but this whole Google Material design. So I want people, and you know, you're if you can give a better explanation of it for sure than I can. But what I will tell everybody listening. And hopefully, based on my site, and if you, you know, go to Gordon's site, that you see, we both have a uh, desire for this to be clean and current when it comes to design. And so this is not about, you know, I don't want to say a date, because <laughs> there's still a lot of pop-ups and, and boxes and stuff out there that are starting to look dated, even though they're current technology, because design trends and whatnot change so much. So the goal is that our templates There's going to be something that everybody can use because it's going to look clean. It's going to look super current and fresh. Um, So can you just explain Google Material Design a smidgy before we get into features? Yeah, sure. So Google caters to basically everybody. I think that toddlers Google these days (laughs) and senior citizens as well. And they are serving things to you on your desktop and on your mobile and on your tablets. So you know, it's a pleura of different interfaces. What they did is they wrote, oh, well, they're not, there are simple rules, but there are a lot of rules in saying how should an interface look in order for it not to be fugly, <laughs> but not to be just bells and whistles. Uh, one of the great examples of that is 
their buttons are flat with a little bit of shadow. But if you click them, you get this little animation, this tactile feedback that you actually did click it. So if they if there wasn't uh, this effect of clicking, you would never know if the computer understood your command or not. But on the other hand, it's not overwhelming. You know, there's no sound playing or anything like that. It's just this micro interaction that told you that you did click. So these set of rules for the material design explain how things should look. And if anybody of you has an Android phone, basically you're looking at Google material design all day long. And it transcends mobiles. It goes into desktop. It goes into everything. Now, it's not a revolution. It's an evolution of building better uh, user experiences through standardized interfaces so that when you're jumping through various Google interfaces, you always know how a login or a logout button looks. You always know what happens when you click on an, I don't know, input field or a drop-down field. This doesn't mean that this is the best thing since sliced bread. It just means that by standardizing, you will be losing less time on learning new things that are basically not new. It's just, pardon my French, some designer jerking off <laughs> and trying things that he thinks that are cool, but are basically not cool because it takes you five minutes to find the logout button. So by having this Google material design, let's say workbook or road that leads you to somewhere, um, we are standardizing things. And once you open lead surveys, everything will feel like you're at home. You won't need to search for things. It will look familiar. And we just saved you, well, maybe 10 seconds, but maybe we saved you five minutes. But you should really feel like at home because you have already seen the, the, this interface on numerous other devices. For those of you who are running businesses and thinking, well, this shit is not for me because I want my things to be branded, that doesn't mean that it's not branded. You still have a place for your logo. You still have a place for your colors. But for instance, the color scheme has to go by some rules. You can't have 76 different colors. You choose a primary one and then you choose a palette based on that. So you can definitely brand it. It can still look you, but at the same time, follow certain directions that make users feel like they're at home and that they know what they're doing. Uh, that's a beautiful explanation. Uh, and thank you because it helped me. And at the same time, it's, it's obviously because it's Google, it's going to work across devices and windows and browsers and all of those things. So, you know, that's another, uh, another bonus to that. Um, okay. I'll let you run with the features and then I'll, I'll wrap up and we're going to have to do part two where we'll talk about the branding and the marketing and all that stuff. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So the features in a nutshell, um, within a minute, you can have your survey up and running that has all of your standard types of questions from single select to multi-select to click on an image to select something, 
Later on, um, you can even ask them to upload a file. You can separate your questions into multiple, well, we call them steps in order not to overwhelm users. So you put like three, maybe four questions on one step, then then their second step, third step, and they're done. Um, you are able to collect their emails. That's your, um, well, the crucial piece of data, but you can't really look at things only through email. That's why we put a lot of emphasis on uh, other pieces of data. For instance, uh, what kind of behaviors can we see your users making on a site? Is this the first time they came to you or the fifth time? Everything is recorded, but there's nothing for you to configure. Uh, you can only, you should read the data and draw conclusions out of it. Once you gather that data and you have it in our interface, you can also push it to other services such as MailChimp or Aweber or any other autoresponder. Uh, in order to send emails out. However, again, this is not the only thing that we want you to do or that you should do. Our goal here is to give you the tools to learn more about your customers and to show them things that they really want to see. For instance, you will be able to show a survey after they scroll a certain amount through your content. Because if somebody is going to leave your site after uh, reading the title, there's really no point in showing him the survey. You're not doing anything. You're just frustrating. But if he spent five minutes of reading a long article and, you know, he's at 75%, this is a good user for you. Show him the survey or perhaps you want to show it when they reach the end of the page. Not a problem. We also give the option to uh, trigger surveys on the exit intent. Uh, a lot of people have found great success with that. If you see that your users like that, please use it. Um, as Kim already mentioned, there's not going to be a drag and drop builder, but we guarantee you that you will be able to match the style of the survey to your site. You will be able to brand it. It will look like yours. It will not look like somebody you plucked out of some random design and just glued onto your site. We know that that doesn't look good and nobody wants to fill those surveys. So it will look good. Obviously, completely mobile optimized and it follows the latest Google guidelines on pop-ups. So your site will not be downgraded or banned on Google because you're having surveys on them. Uh, for version zero, what else is important? Uh, pretty stats, that's important. Um, well, I yeah, think also, I was just going to say, I was going to say when we were talking about the, uh, in terms of email, because you know, this is not to replace an autoresponder. Your autoresponder should pick up where lead surveys leaves off. So we'll start and I, I'm not, we're not going to quote anything, but we'll start with some native integrations and then they'll be added over time. But our goal with this also, 
And I hope <laughs> I'm not, I'm getting this right. But the goal is not to, to require you to go pay for Zapier in addition. You know, obviously there will be a Zapier connection at a certain point for, for services that we're not, we don't have a native integration for. Um, but you know, truly our goal with this is to, to help you collect quality subscribers that you can segment. So feature wise, I think you covered most of it, Gordon. Yeah, for version zero, I think mm-hmm. that's it. Yeah, and obviously after they after your users finish a survey, you can um, get them a PDF. You can thank them. You can do all of the regular stuff that you're used to. So we are not cutting down things that you really need, but we are cutting out things that are fluff that are just feeding people's ego because they think they have to have something or stuff like that. Exactly. And to go along with everything is we want to teach you how to do this. I want to do case studies. I want to see how it's working. And, you know, because that's half the fun of having a relationship with your audience is that, they probably, you know, you guys will come up with stuff that wasn't a template we had thought of or wasn't a feature, whatever. And I mean, even just in terms of questions for your survey. So it's, it's going to be a, a journey that we go on together. That's, that's the ultimate goal. So yeah, um, we will be listening to our customers, no doubt about it. But, um, if one person requests a certain feature, Unfortunately, that will probably not get added because that would mean that we are doing custom development for every single user. In order for us to add a feature, it has to fit into this vision that we have and it can't, you know, be a bother to all other users. So definitely, if you have ideas, please do send them over. They're not getting ignored but um you know we need some critical mass of users demanding something in order for us to implement it um okay i think that's going to wrap up part one gordon that was pretty in-depth i (laughs) i have to tell you time flies time flies it totally does and we will have so part two and i'll publish these back to back in terms of you know one episode to the next and so we'll have some dates and links for you guys for webinar, for a Facebook group. Um, obviously the, to sign up, you can, you know, sign up at leadsurveys.io to get early invite because we, we will limit the launch in terms of founders. So, and get that it'll close and to tweak and scarcity, whatever you want to call it. We want to make sure the platform is working correctly. Um, but there's not going to be a huge window between founders getting in and it being open to the public. So, um, any final notes, Gordon, are you good? No, I think I'm good. Besides we have episode number two, so we (laughs) ramble on. All right. So everybody, thanks as always for listening. Uh, this is again, so kind of fun that conversations with Kim that we get to the Kim and Gordon show for a couple episodes. So, um, you know, please reach out whether through the site, um, leave comments on this post and, uh, just feedback, feedback, feedback. We really want it guys as always. Thanks so much for listening.